When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. The Telegraph, the Telegraph. podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hello there, and welcome to Total Football. An explosion of 1-0 away wins, a theoretically super Sunday which failed to fully ignite, and a sparkling Manchester City that must be aimed away from your face. That was your Premier League bonfire weekend, and we're here to examine how it panned out. On today's episode, we'll head to Stamford Bridge for El Angrico between the Premier League's two most livid managers and find out who came out on top or angriest. It was another third-gear victory for your tiki-taka league-leading overlords in eastern Manchester. James Ducker joins us to talk City and to make some unfavourable comparisons with the Arsenal side they beat. And we're joined by the director of the world's favourite football management simulation, who gives us his top tip for avoiding the sack. Listen carefully, Slavon Bilic. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by our deputy football correspondent, Jeremy Wilson. Jeremy, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Tom. Fantastic. We'll start at Wembley, where you saw Tottenham Hotspur beat Crystal Palace by one goal to nil. Was this the sort of meat and potatoes home win that good seasons are built upon? It was exactly. It was a, a match for cliches about important. <laughs> what are you saying about wins, my questions? Important one nil wins, the sort of the games that are more important than in over a season, maybe than even beating Real Madrid three one, getting the job done, all of that really. And it was it was like that because. It could easily have gone the other way. After 60 minutes, Palace were creating the best chances. Tottenham did look physically bruised from Wednesday. They're missing a few players. Harry Kane had, had taken a few whacks. Uh, and mentally as well, I think it's just such a come down after after that. A noon kickoff as well. It was all quite subdued and uh, very much after the Lord Mayor's show. But they, they got there in the end. And I think that was really... It showed how Tottenham have matured. And I think come the end of the season they will be the biggest challengers to Manchester City the question is just the the size of their squad and how well they can cope they've got two or three injuries at the moment how well they cope through the season if that happens so I think they are the the team that will that will stick closest to Manchester City for longest they could even be the team to beat Manchester City because I think their style when they're really on it and playing well, as we saw on Wednesday night, they can really suffocate the very best best opponents. I think they're better when they're playing 
better opposition, if that makes sense, when they can play a little bit on the break and they they can rely on the fact that they've got a very good defence. They're at least winning these games at Wembley now, though. We saw so often yeah. at the beginning of the season that they, they couldn't break down the teams and, and then they went on to lose or draw. Yeah, it's a di- completely different challenge when you're playing one of the teams that are basically there to defend. I mean, Palace were very well organised. It's another sort of cliche about a Roy Hodgson team, but they were. And I thought, I didn't think Tottenham were going to get there at half-time or even until they scored, really. And they seem to be doing that a lot more now. Um, and Wembley does feel, I think, for a, a venue to feel like home, you sort of have to create moments in the, that place. And obviously, Tottenham are starting to do that now. Mm. Wilf Saha was kept quite quiet for Palace. What did Spurs do to minimise his influence? He obviously blew that one big chance when he yeah. rounded the keeper. I think he was still their most dangerous player throughout the Common game. Common theme for Palace. I think if anything was gonna gonna happen. I don't know that I I don't know that Spurs did anything particularly special to do it, because I think Tottenham are very, very defensively well set up anyway and I think it was the fact that Zaha was quite relatively quiet was more just a, a inevitable function of how Palace was set up they were they were there to defend deeply and cause problems on the break and they basically did that and I think I think Zaha got as much chances in a game like this as he was ever going to do really I don't I don't think it was a sort of consequence of anything Tottenham did in particular I think it was more the way Palace set up he was fairly influential given the amount of possession Palace had in the game No Deli Ali in the Spurs squad and he's out of Gareth Southgate's England squad for their upcoming friendlies how long were we expecting him to be out for? There, Pochettino was asked about it after the, the game he, he thinks he could be back for the Arsenal match in two weeks it's, it was actually something he was carrying before the Madrid game Is it one of those convenient injuries do you I think? I think there could be a little bit of, of that in it I think that it's I think there is an injury, but it's a good. It's a moment where you can take a rest uh, in the season because Pochettino was quite open about it. He said he had it before the Manchester United game, um, and he obviously played against Real Madrid as well. scored Scored the two goals. I think if he'd really needed him today, he could have played him. But obviously, that sort of politically would have got difficult with England had he had he sort of played him. So there's obviously an injury there because otherwise there'd be no real reason to to hold him back. I think Southgate has got to be quite long term about it because it's not that long till the World Cup and these games are fairly not not especially important, not particularly relevant. A lot of there'll be a lot of changes in the squad, a lot of different players available come the World Cup and I think he should sort of err on the side of caution really. Back in the Premier League, it is sacking season. West Ham lost 4-1 at home to Liverpool. Slavin Bilic's days look numbered. But a fantastic result for David Unsworth Everton. Won 3-2 against Watford from 2-0 down. Assuming Unsworth doesn't get that, assuming Bilic is not with us for too much longer, which of those clubs do you think is the better job for a manager? They're both theoretically on an upward curve if someone can sort them out. Yeah, I think probably Everton because I think with West Ham, I think this... Oh, everybody talks about the stadium issue, but I still think in a way it's almost been underplayed because when you go there and you're that far away from the 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 pitch and even just getting there, sort of walking along a ring road, you know, very sort of a different <laughs> environment to where to where they were previously. C- couldn't be more different. I don't know how you you fix any of that. 
Uh, I really don't, and I don't. How know much how does that you, matter to players, though? I think it. I think the atmosphere. It's a. It's an. Everyone can measure everything in football now, but I think that sort of intangible benefit is is huge for players potentially. I think it does. The I think the environment in which teams play makes it makes an enormous difference to to results, and it's not something you can measure. It's just something that you can sense sometimes, and I think. And there's a disconnect between the the club, not so much the players, but the club to some extent, and the fans because they don't they don't a sizable number of them don't particularly like where they go to watch their team. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how they how West Ham fix that. And if I was a prospective manager, that would be a bit which I'm I'm not at all, obviously. But that would be a big a big worry to me. I don't know how you galvanise that club in that in that stadium, Everton. Okay, the the owners so far maybe a little bit twitchy type of owners that we we know that Mashiri he was involved previously at Arsenal and was quite frustrated with with Arsenal and probably wanted to get in and do do make a few decisions and we've not seen enough to form a complete opinion but I think that the way they dealt with Ronald Koeman suggests that they'll be fairly um, hands on type of owners so you'd have that question mark about Everton but I just think Everton the stadium the the sort of fan base the environment there I think that it would be easier I think as a manager you're always looking for a job where you can generate a bit of momentum get things going and I think Everton you've, you've got a better chance there than, than West Ham even though West Ham have got a very similarly passionate type of fan base I, as I say I just don't know how they fix that stadium issue Who do you think makes most sense to come in at Everton? I think the obvious choice person to approach is Sean Dyche it's, it's sort of been been mentioned I think I think the prob- I think Allardyce I'm a, I, I think his track record I'd always defend his track record but he does come with a certain baggage and perception of he comes with that terrible shirt he was wearing on match of the day <laughs> which is, would be a real worry to me <laughs> in, a, in many respects he'd be perfect for West Ham at the moment but they're not going to go back to back to that but because he I think for someone who could steady a place sort of in spite of difficult environment and fans he'd be ideal for that I think a certain size of club have a the supporters have a certain ego and expectation about how how our team play and I think that's always going to be difficult for Allardyce at certain clubs perhaps perhaps unfairly because I think he's his track record is is excellent so I think Dyche would be a better fit for Everton at the moment. Mm. Another win for his current team, Burnley, on Saturday. They beat Southampton 1-0 at home. He said it was fine margins after the game. They seemed to be under the cosh for most of it and nicked a goal. But should Southampton fans be worried? I think a little bit because uh, the league after the top six, there's not there's not a whole lot in it. Obviously, Palace are a bit cut adrift, but after that, there's it's fairly bunched up. And uh, I don't think Pellegrino so far, there's no sense that he's had any real impact, that he's any difference to Claude Puel. And the sort of player power that certainly played a bit of a role in Puel's departure. Pellegrino seems like a, he's, he's a sort of more, seems more personable, possibly a bit more popular. Puel, there was a bit more distance with him. But he seems a bit like a number two still, Pellegrino, which he obviously was with, with Rafael Benitez. And although he did very well for one season in Spain, I think it's quite a gamble they took on him, sort of personality-wise, as a, as a manager. And uh, they Southampton had a chance to get Silva, who obviously went to Watford. And I I still can't quite understand how they didn't, why they didn't do that, why they didn't take that decision, because I'm pretty sure he would have gone to gone to them. 
Claude Puel's new team was involved in a great game at Stoke 2 all between Leicester and Mark Hughes's side. A couple of excellent saves from Jack Butland to keep them in that match. Do you think he should be England's number one now? I do, yeah. I think that Joe Hart's... I'm surprised that successive managers really have persisted so long with him. I think Joe Hart was an outstanding keeper for a time, but he obviously lost his way to some extent. And I think that, although he maybe wouldn't put it this way, I think he he's, he seemed to lose a little bit of confidence. He, he seemed to... He became very much more prickly with the media, which is you know that doesn't doesn't mean anything in terms of whether he should be he should be the the first choice goalkeeper. I think he might benefit himself from a period out out of that, and I think that Butland's been the best keeper for for a time. I think confidence is such a big factor in in in, the, in your goalkeeper. Another great result for Brighton and Hove Albion one nil at Swansea City. You were down at Brighton this week, Jeremy. If they can stay up this season, do you think they could be a Stoke sort of club, like become Premier League regulars? I do, and I think it's. It, you mentioned fine margins in it for a club like Brighton. It is obviously very fine margins to to establish yourself in the Premier League, which is obviously their their aim. But you, you, I spent time there at the start of the season as well. And it was. In, I spent a day and a lot of time talking to the chief executive there, Paul Barber, who, who used to work at Tottenham with Daniel Levy. And it was really interesting the extent to which, and obviously lots of clubs will tell you this, but the extent to which they've been well organised at every level of their club. And you really felt like this was a place that will we'll come up to the Premier League at some point. You know, they missed out. They had a few playoffs, but they've really done it the the, the long term way. They've really built that club and their and their sort of excellence at every level the sort of player recruitment supporters relations ev- you know everything that they do they do well there and they've really kept the thing i like about them and partly i suppose because they've got a, a fan own, owner in tony bloom they've really kept the sort of fabric of the club and what they were when you know in the dark days when they were at gillingham and with dean they've really sort of harnessed that but in a very professionalized way and it, and i think they're a uh, example to any club really They're, they've not spent huge amounts of money in the summer they've recruited very intelligently they have very much their own ideas about what they're going to do how they're going to do it there's a guy called Paul Wynn Stanley who's their recruitment guy and he's he, he maps and I'm, I'm sure a lot of clubs do this but he's mapping things out you know literally a year in advance very big on the character of people he's bringing in does a lot of background on that and I just think they're a very thorough club but what I like about them is how they've kept that link to the to the, the the past, the the secretary of the club, I can't remember it. It was something like forty or fifty years he's been the secretary. He's still, he's still. There was sort of a joke about him because he still wears the same high tech trainers he's been wearing for like decades or something like that. And he was like the guy that you know you would imagine on the. I don't mean this in a sort of disrespectful way at all, but the guy you'd sort of see on the gate of a League Two club was, or a League, you know, club that could have at that time gone out of business. But they've he stayed, and he's still, and someone like that is like the soul of the club. But they've done it as well. They've they've added sort of great professionalism around around him as well. So. Yeah, it's, they, Do they all have high-tech trainers as well? <laughs> no, I think... That's the I, DNA no, that runs the, through Brighton. The great, the great story about it was that I don't know who... I can't remember what the brand was. It was obviously Nike, Puma or something like that that had become the sponsors and they had to. They had this difficult conversation with him and they had to try and <laughs> persuade him to, to change these trainers. So he, he, this guy, actually, I just thought he really captured it. He told me that, you know, when... It, in the difficult times, they were signing, you know, they were signing, the sign-on fee was a pair of trainers for a player or something. 
something like that. But they, you could tell that although Paul Barber had come from a very work for the FA, work for Tottenham, quite a corporate guy, he loved all that, you know. And I really like the way that they've they've sort of aligned those things. And it is it is fine margins for them to stay up. It always will be, and they know that. But. I think they're really getting re- rewarded for, for the way they run it. Finally, a word on West Brom. Two wins in their last 20 games. Uh, extremely tedious football. Another defeat against Huddersfield, who only had 10 men on Saturday. Do you have any sympathy for the growing number of their fans who've had enough of Tony Pulis? I can understand that. I can understand it to an extent if they want a sort of different type of football. But I think if they want a different type of football, they have to be realistic enough to know that that could also mean relegation. I don't think you can sort of have it both ways and just be sure I'll get rid of Pulis and we'll go to the next level and we'll, we'll play really great football. It doesn't. It doesn't really work like that. If 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 you feel like that, I think you've got to accept that you could get relegated and that you've got and that probably getting rid, rid of Pulis increases your chance of getting relegated. So you know if you if you want to have it both ways, then that's you know I think that's a bit dangerous because I think Pulis you have to take. The, the longer term thing with the manager and is again a bit like Allardyce his record is is outstanding do you think they'll stay up I always sort of have a theory that a Pulis and Allardyce teams don't get relegated and it's and it's been fairly reliable in the Allardyce in for Pulis would be quite an amusing conclusion to that <laughs> yeah that yeah I don't know what difference that would make fury in the black country Here's our Chief Football Correspondent Jason Burt who has just finished watching Chelsea 1, Manchester United 0. Jason, Chelsea came out looking like a different team in the second half. What did Conte do to change the pattern of the game? I think he put a rocket out them, didn't he? I, mean, I think this is a game that he really wanted to win. I mean, they really couldn't afford to lose this match. They certainly uh, wouldn't want to go into international break with another defeat and obviously more speculation over the future of, of Conte. And I think they really, really wanted to win the match and, and, and they went at Manchester United. I also think, to be fair, Manchester United were a bit disorganised after the break. They'd sort of gone for it a bit in the first half, but the kind of second half, they weren't quite so sure as to what to do tactically. And I think they got caught out. I mean, if you saw the nature of the goal, there was no marking at all when Morata hit that, hit that header. So uh, I thought that Chelsea wanted it a bit more than Manchester United and tactically were a bit better set up. How big a miss is Pogba from United's midfield at the moment? Well, if you'd ask uh, Romelu Lukaku, he says a huge miss because obviously this is a game in which Morata was up against Lukaku. Obviously, Either striker could have played for either of these teams. You know, at one stage, you were like Morata was going to sign for Manchester United and Lukaku was going to sign for Chelsea. Morata was a much better player today than Lukaku. And Lukaku would say that's partly because he didn't get the supply. But I think Paul Pogba's relationship with, with, with Lukaku on the pitch has made a big difference at the start of the season Manchester United. And they just missed that sort of dynamic presence in the centre of the midfield. You put this, this Manchester United midfield up against Chelsea with N'Golo Kante back in their team. And it, and it was a bit of a mismatch, to be honest with you. I mean, Kante, I thought, was superb coming back from his hamstring injury. And I think Pogba was, was sorely missed by Manchester United. Going back to Morata, it was a very satisfying headed goal he scored. But he made a real mess in stoppage time when he had a chance to seal it. Overall, will he be happy with his day's work? Yeah, I think he will be. And he got a massive hug from the uh, Chelsea technical director, Michael Emanalo, who obviously was instrumental in signing him uh, You know, before he left the pitch. But you're absolutely right. There was that moment when he was put clean through by Willian and he sort of stumbled over and uh, on the touchline, Conte was, was doing his nut because then Manchester United went down the other end and got a, a free kick and you're sitting there thinking this could be it, this could be the sort of pivotal moment that the whole story changes. But no, I think Morata was, uh, was very good. He had a difficult first half where he seemed to find it quite hard to cope physically 
with Manchester United, but in the second half he was much better. What did what did you make, Jason, of the decision with David Luiz? Because he was obviously so instrumental last season in that three-man defence, but but Conte obviously think, went a different way today. I think Christensen was superb, who, who obviously came in. But you're absolutely right, Jeremy. I think this is going to be a developing story here with David Luiz now here because he's clearly a favourite of Roman Abramovich, the Chelsea owner. He's been fantastic for Chelsea last season, as he says instrumental in the, the back three that, that has been played. But I, but I think there's been a problem or at least a, a growing frustration with Antonio Conte and, and, and David Luiz. I think when Luiz came off in the Champions League game recently here at Stamford Bridge, he showed his frustration. I don't think that went, went down very well with Conte. And I think he's paying a price for a bit for that and some of his recent mistakes. We've seen much more... I don't know. He's not been quite the same this season so far, David Luiz. I mean, I think he would say that Chelsea haven't been quite the same. And he's, he's, he's paid the price for that. I think that will be a developing story in terms of what that now means because I think Conte will feel vindicated with the performance today and the result and, uh, and obviously doing so with, without David Luiz in the team. We're speaking before Jose Mourinho has spoken after the game, but what's your take, Jason, on his state of mind at the moment? Oh dear me! I, I, I mean, I wouldn't want to be inside his head right now. I've got to say, I don't think it'd be a very happy place. He seems to me to be not not happy at all. He seems to me to be looking for danger and signs of conflict where they often don't exist. And I think he's not in a very sort of settled frame of mind. I think that he seems to be thinking the world is conspiring against him. There's too much praise and love being given to. Pep Guardiola and Mauricio Pochettino and he, the master tactician, is not being regarded in the right sort of light. He's talking about the number of trophies he's won. He's talking about all the sort of various injustices he feels. It's not a great situation at the moment for him and I do, do not understand really quite why he is the way he is because he's never going to have the conditions anywhere else than, than at Manchester United which are perfect for him to work. He's got no excuses and maybe that is the problem. Maybe he can't blame anyone else and therefore he's becoming a little bit more sort of frustrated and, and so on. But we've seen this before from Mourinho, although it's, um, it seems to be happening quicker and quicker with the seasons that he seems to get himself in these situations where he's at war with people. There was Apparently there was no handshake at the end between the managers. We couldn't see it quite clearly no. live time on television. But what, That's right. What was... no, no, no handshake at all. Conte was not having it whatsoever and he wasn't having it. Well, it, we got the wet fish at the uh, before kickoff when uh, Mourinho was waiting at the top of the tunnel for, for Conte to come up and then Conte sort of barely touched his hand for a handshake and didn't look in his eye. And then at the end, he wasn't having it at all. And I think there's no love lost between these, these two. I was here a few weeks ago when it was put to Conte that uh, I think Mourinho, there'd been a Champions League game and Mourinho had said, you know, he's not one of these managers who complains about injuries. Conte sort of narrowed his eyes and, and obviously took that to an offence aimed at him, which he probably was. And uh, I think we quite clearly know there's no love but loss between these, these, these two at all. Um, Conte, before this game, was talking about how it was a miracle that he'd won the league with Chelsea when they'd been in a relegation battle, another jibe towards, um, towards Mourinho. And obviously Mourinho gives as good as he gets back at Conte and they, they definitely do needle each other quite a lot. Do you, do you think Jason he made a Mourinho made a mistake after that Huddersfield game where he this, this season had started well and he he went for it seemed to me he went for the players very early and it's as if he didn't hadn't learned from what had happened at Chelsea a couple of years ago. It's, it's early no, still I'm, in the I, season. I, 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 I agree with you. He went for, he went for the players early. He's gone for the fans early. Um, he's gone for his rivals early. I'm yeah. sure there'll, there'll be more talk of him going being disgruntled about the conditions at Manchester United. We'll hear those sorts of stories coming out soon that he hasn't been given the backing he deserves. There were stories in the newspaper today about about him wanting a new contract um, and obviously wanting a pay rise. And, and it's just it's a, it's a very familiar pattern. We, we, we've seen this time and time again with 
with Mourinho, it's um, without being too uh, rude about him, it's always somebody else's fault, and I don't think he has the capacity to take shoulder the blame when on occasions it clearly is not just the player's fault, but also his own. I think you're right. I don't think the players have, have really let him down. I think they tried to, to play and do things the way he wants them to. And I think at times he's got to take the responsibility himself. That You know, he, he's made mistakes. And um, yeah, I think the, the Huddersfield result following on from the Liverpool, obviously they, they got the win against Tottenham last weekend, but it wasn't again particularly convincing. And I, I thought they, they, were, they were kind of average here, really. I mean, they kind of went for it a little bit in the first half and then, they didn't really have enough about them to sort of take take on Chelsea. And I thought Chelsea won one nil, but probably deserved to win more more comfortably. Right, Jason, off to the press conference with you now, so Jose Mourinho can I'll begin be taking out now. on you. I'll probably going to say I'll probably be barred. That's what I just said, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, right. this podcast doesn't go out live. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Lion Trust, specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. James Ducker watched the Galaxy's best football team, Manchester City, on Sunday, who saw off Arsenal 3-1. James, it was quite an even opening few minutes, but City seemed to effortlessly seize control of this game. Lots get said about Pep Guardiola's tactics, but he seems to have given his team incredible self-belief. Is that because of his man management? Yeah, I mean, the, I think I think a lot of those players have got a lot of self-belief anyway. I don't think the De Bruyne's and the David Silvers of this world were ever lacking in self-belief but there's real belief in the system I think I think it's I mean, it's been pretty well documented that you know what what he demands of players in his setup is quite complex and clearly some players pick up that pretty quickly but others need a lot more time and I think everyone has got a very acute understanding now of what of what is expected of them and, and that in turn is sort of you know, breathing great belief. And I think when you end up with the sort of momentum that, that they have got at the moment and the scoring the amount of goals, then you sort of, your confidence just sort of reaches, you know, very, very high levels. And and I think that they look like a team that, that believe they're always going to score. And no matter what, what, what they face, you know, no matter what sort of adversity they face, that they'll, they'll be able to find a way out of it. I mean, they, they, they should have been a goal in front after 90 seconds and actually Arsenal had a good good sort of 5-10 minutes after that but then City just started to take the game away from them and I, I really don't quite know how, how they weren't sort of 3-4 goals to the good at half time and you know very briefly in the second half you know Arsenal made it 2-1 but then and City pulled away again and I was just watching the game, and I just think the the gulf between the teams was—I mean, they, they look—they look like a team with twelve points between them and the table. Alexis Sanchez started up front against a team he may yet be playing for next year. Did he do anything to impress his possible new teammates? Well, well, Guardiola's just been saying that he was sort of their main—you know—the main threat to deal with that. I mean, I didn't see that person. I think that's all part of. Pep's charm offensive, probably Tom. Um, you know whether they move for him in January or um, or next summer. I think that's a pretty fluid situation. I think if if other teams look to come in from in January, you may see City move from there and then. I think otherwise they're pretty happy to wait until the summer. Um, but but no, I mean obviously he would be far more effective in this side, and I suspect he would slot in pretty seamlessly. But I'm looking at I'm looking at the forward three at the moment and the guy on the bench, Gabriel Jesus, and I don't. I'm not entirely sure Alexis Sanchez get into this team 
Uh, I mean, a couple of uh, Sterling's final balls let him down today, but I mean, him and him and Sane were a constant headache for for Arsenal's fullbacks in defence. And I mean, they are just pretty irresistible going forward. So, I mean, uh, Guardiola, Guardiola is a, is a huge fan of, of Sanchez. And you think that if he does come in, though, some someone will have to make way. James, it's uh, Jeremy here. I just wondered how did Arsenal obviously taken a big risk by keeping Sanchez and Ozil this season? How committed, uh, focused, and interested they did they look today? Not, not overly. Personally, I mean, the, the problem is with them. I mean, I've, I've seen, I've, I've seen Ozil come to Manchester so often in recent years and look like he, you know, indifferent. Uh, I'll say indifferent to be kind to him. Um, but I mean, he's just been anonymous in so many games, both at Old Trafford and the Etihad. I do wonder. He's the sort of player that uh, you know. You do wonder whether he, he, he's electric in for his country. I've very, very rarely seen him play poorly for Germany. You do wonder if you if you put him in into a team like City, just how good he'd be. But you know, I think Guardiola himself was saying on Friday that. Ozil's body language doesn't always do him any favours and I think that was very much again the case today. I mean, he had a couple of moments that, you know, he wasn't entirely out of the picture but he wasn't great. I think Sanchez just flickered at moments but they just, City contained both very well. I mean, uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't obviously look at Arsenal today and say Sanchez and Ozil uh, are and have been their biggest threat. Uh, you know, City countered them pretty well. Uh, you know, Uobi was probably the the best of Arsenal's forward players. Why do we think Lacazette isn't starting? I don't know. That's one for Jeremy, but I mean, he, he was a... He what do you, what a, do you um, think, Jeremy? It's a it's a bit of a mystery because it, I think if he'd have not started Lacazette and played a more defensively-minded team and, and put in an extra midfielder or, or, or organised it in a way where you could see he was solidifying the team, it might have made some some sense. But to do that and just play effectively play a Wobi, OK, move Sanchez, but he still played three. So to pick a Wobi... If, Effectively ahead of Lacazette is hard, really hard to understand. You know, if it, if it had dropped Giroud in there, I could I could see that a bit more because obviously he plays a different style and it means you can play slightly more direct. He can hold the ball up, but to 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 basically pick a Wobi over Lacazette on the basis of this season is is pretty baffling. Uh, and he was, I mean, the, the, you know, he came on and uh, you know scored pretty quickly. And I mean, it was a very, very well taken goal. But the way he sort of peeled off Otamendi was they lacked that really in the game before them. They lacked, I think, really sort of a, a clear centre forward. And you know, certainly for ten, fifteen minutes in the second half, he um, and, and with the system change, it, it did 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 help Arsenal. Finally, James, you wrote in the Sunday Telegraph about City's poor form once the weather got colder in the last few seasons. Is there any sign of history repeating this time? Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the the last two, um, the, the previous two seasons in November and December and January, as you say, um, Tom, the, the, their, their form and points return has, has dropped off markedly. You know, I mean, the fact today they brought on Gundogan, Gabriel Jesus and Bernardo Silva from the bench. I think I think tells you that this is a team that that, that can cope with injuries certainly at the front end of the pitch. Uh, the concern for me would be if Otamendi and Stones got injured. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of question marks over the defence going into the season, but they they are they have both been unrecognisable from last year. I mean, the, the strides that both have made have been have been huge, and they are actually forming a, a pretty potent partnership at the moment. So, particularly with company company out and Benjamin Mendy, you know, also a long term absentee. You know, I think 
I think that that is po- a possible sticking point if they lose one of those. But even then, probably still battling to outscore teams. So I think they've got the benefit as well that they've got obviously two Champions League games left and they've not topped the group yet. But there's the opportunity to rest some players there. So. Uh, and, and again, equally, can play a second string that is still extremely strong in the in the League Cup quarterfinals. So maybe the fixture overload won't be as, as much of a problem as it was in the previous two seasons. Frightening stuff in prospect, then, James. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, Tom. Now, if you want to experience the thrills of being Jose Mourinho or maybe just Claude Puel, there's only one video game for you, and that is, of course. Football Manager 18, which arrives into our lives this Friday, 10th of November. The game's director, Miles Jacobson, joins me now. Miles, which new feature in this year's game are you most excited about? I think there's a couple, really, because normally um, with the game, we're kind of adding new things to existing features. But this year, we've got two completely brand new things in there, one of which is Dynamics. And Dynamics deals with how your squad are getting on with each other, how your squad relates to you. We've also replicated um, changing rooms up and down the countries by having influencer lists. So you have your most influential players, then key influencers. You have social groups so you can see who's hanging out with each other. And and if one of your uh, key social groups gets annoyed with you, it's actually now going to annoy a group of players rather than just one, which, as we know, does happen <clears throat> um, in real life. And can lead to managers being sacked. So you have to manage your your players off the pitch as well as on. Another key feature is uh, the medical centre. We added sports scientists to the game last year, and, and whilst they could help with injury recoveries, that wasn't really clear to people. But um, injuries is always a subject that we get a lot of heat on, if you like. No one likes having an injured player, right? And it's very different when you're playing a season and 20 hours compared to a season in real life lasting 300 days with the perception of how many players actually get injured. So by adding the medical centre in, that's going to give you advice on how you can hopefully not stop your players getting injured because players get kicked and then get injured anyway, but how you can limit your injuries, which players are at high risk of injury. And it's it's been good fun working on that module because we actually learned a lot by talking to sports scientists, physios, doctors, about what goes into the game. So that's improved the injury side of things throughout the game as well. You included a Brexit simulation in last year's game and you're leading the way again this year with a new feature in which players can come out as gay. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, um, it doesn't happen with real players because obviously we don't know who is gay and who isn't unless that player has actually come out. But um, we, I don't know, I find it a bit strange that in society today in 2017, we don't have many outwardly uh, gay footballers. It's not just that they're publicly out. They're not really out inside the sport either. We've seen in other sports, people coming out have absolutely no effect whatsoever on them. They don't get the, uh, the, the stress and the hassle and the abuse that seems to be expected from the football audience. There was a poll a few months ago that showed a really worrying start that 7 to 8% of people would stop supporting their clubs if they had a, a gay player. And we, we find this ridiculous. So the way that we've added it in the game is it can happen to what are called new gens, which are the players generated as other players retire in the game. So the new youth intakes that come in. And we've just completely normalised it. 
it pops up with a news item that says the player has come out. You get a, a small merchandise boost because people would have extra interest in that player and you might find a different, a different audience, different customer coming along to support that player. And then it doesn't get mentioned again. Um, and we just want to show people that it is a totally normal thing. I mean, you know, you, you work on podcasts. It's totally normal if someone in your industry is gay. It's totally normal in the games industry if someone is gay. They don't get treated any differently. So it's it's a shame that in, in football we're not at that situation yet. So we just thought that we'd add something in to maybe try and educate some people and, and show people that it is totally normal and shouldn't be seen as a negative thing. Sounds spot on, Miles. Do you think Football Manager has an influence on fans' behaviour because those that play it feel like experts? <laughs> I think those that, that play it, whilst they might not necessarily be experts, they are definitely learning things as they're going on. Does that make them more impatient and make them feel like they know more than the real-life managers of their clubs? If you talk to certain real-life managers, then yes, they've used the game as a reason many times for the pressure that's been on them, particularly with signings. If you look back, I think it was Martin O'Neill who said, you know, all these people uh, recommending players off the back of football manager, that's not real. Well, football clubs around the world are using our data as part of their scouting systems. So uh, it, it, it must be real to some degree. We have 1,300 scouts around the world watching players week in, week out from the age of 15 upwards looking for the next talent that comes in. So it is a good reference tool. I wouldn't advise anyone signing a player directly off the back of our of our researchers. They have to go and watch them first. But we're, a, we're as good a reference tool as YouTube. And let, let's be honest, anyone can look good on YouTube. I'm sure I've had five good touches in my life um, that there could be a good showreel of me. So I do think that people are educated by the game. And, and even people, uh, you know, we had the Cowley brothers last season who went on an incredible FA Cup run with Lincoln. And they told of a story uh, where they went round to their mums for Sunday lunch and were finally able to tell her that, that when she was telling them to stop playing our games and go and do their homework, that was actually their homework. So we're, we're seeing more and more people working in football and um, using the knowledge that they've learned from, from Football Manager to, to help them get those roles. Um, it, it's, it's pretty odd, really, because it was not something that we... We set out to do at any point, um, but it's it's great that it's happened because it it shows how um, how deep and in depth the game must be if it's being recognised in that way by the sport that it's mimicking. Finally, Miles, what would be your one piece of advice for players who keep getting sacked? <laughs> um, so the the way that I play the game is I don't go in there with a fixed formation and then try and make the players fit into it. I try and set a formation and, and player roles that actually fit the players. Over time, I may change that by the players that I'm, I'm buying and bringing in. But too many people, I think, will uh, will be fixated on playing football a certain way and then not necessarily having the players to do that. And as we've seen in one case this season of a manager who didn't last very long at his uh, Premier League job, that doesn't really work trying to do things that way around. Maybe Frank so, DeBoer can just practice a bit more on Football Manager 18. Well, 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 maybe. Or maybe he can move to a club next time where he has the, the right players to, to play with. 
you know that that would be that would be the the main the main tip. But if if people want more tips, they can always come to our forums at community.figames.com, and we will be more than happy to help them. <laughs> as soon as you finish working on the game, of course, Miles. In, indeed. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Hero of the week time, and we turn our attention from computerised football management to the real thing and the first round of the FA Cup, one of the best results of the weekend. Boreham Wood from the National League knocked out Blackpool from League One, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Boreham Wood's manager now, Luke Garrard. Luke, I know you must be very proud of your players, but the fact is you were 1-0 down before you made two substitutions and both of your subs scored, so I think you deserve all the credit here. How satisfying is it as a manager for a game to pan out in this way? Yeah, I wouldn't say all the credit. I have to say that... You you have to, Luke. You've got to take the credit. (laughs) Um, The boys put in a shift prior to them scoring. Um, I felt that I needed to put a bit of energy into the side, and in fairness, Blair does that in abundance, and... I changed it on the 63rd minute and I think on the 66th minute he's got the equaliser. So you stand there as a manager quite content because you think that one part of your job's done, you've made a decision and you've been rewarded. But then to hit on the 88th minute a Dan Holman winner, um, yeah, you, you kind of, you're lucky in a, in a way because you either get it right or you get it wrong and you, your subs are always questioned. And on, on this occasion, yeah, I got, I got my reward. How did you celebrate afterwards? Um, I had a beer with the chairman, obviously discussed obviously the game and what I felt was positive and what I felt we could have improved on. But um overall just it hasn't even set in now and it's like um it's it's like uh well, twenty four hours after the event and I'm still yet to believe that we beat Blackpool in League One. So I'm ecstatic, ecstatic in fairness. Well, Luke, you are our hero of the week. Enormous congratulations to you and Boreham Wood. We hope you get a plum draw in the second round. Who do you want? I honestly, I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't want a non-event. I don't want something where you think, oh, where you question it. But I'll, do I go in a, an easier tie? I know it sounds silly saying in the FA Cup second round it's an easier tie, but to get that illustrious FA Cup third round because. That would be immense rolling out at Man United or Chelsea. Let's hope that happens. Thanks very much, Luke. Absolute pleasure. We will watch the second round draw with excitement and interest. Jeremy, what is the most inspired substitution you've ever seen? I think it has to be the the Champions League final with Liverpool against AC Milan and they were 3-0 down. Uh, Carragher and Gerrard still talk about it a lot and... I think the its impact sometimes gets a bit overlooked because it's always the Gerard the Gerard final. But Benitez, where the crowd chanting outside, apparently was incredibly calm, incredibly logical about what he did, and he didn't do something obvious like throw on another striker. He substituted the right back, I think Stephen Finnan, brought on Haman into the midfield, went three at the back, and he wanted to just get more possession of the ball, and he thought that Liverpool could get back into the game from then. And I think the 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 substitutions that I like are not the sort of obvious things where you chuck on Peter Crouch and sort of start banging the ball up long it's when you do something to one part of a team that affects the rest of the team and and Benitez to do that under that degree of pressure was was amazing and the rest is really quite familiar history that's your lot for this week's Total Football. If you find yourself missing me in the coming days, why not send me a message on the website Twitter, at Tom with an H Gibbs. I'm not going to insult your intelligence by telling you to subscribe to the podcast. I'm sure you already are. Just remember to tell all your friends to do the same. Someone needs to take the lead. Our theme tune is by Chapel Hill's finest, Polvo. Buy their music at mergerecords.com. 
Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers. If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast as every week Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again if you like rugby. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.